It's as ubiquitous as running water and even electricity. You can find these sugary soft drinks all around the globe, from coast to coast, and even in outer space. This bitter battle to see who has the best beverage has baffled billions. We'll unmask these marketing machines and their quest to quench our thirst and maintain market share as we contemplate the Cola Wars on today's FYI. Welcome to For Your Info. English. You got it. You got it. Hello, 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 my amigos, and welcome to another exciting edition of FYI, the show where we look at a bunch of different topics and we learn English as well as interesting things about these topics. Remember, guys, if you have any suggestions about future topics, I'm always open. And, as we always say, I'm all ears. Soy todo oídos. I think you say the same thing in Spanish. So that's an easy one for you guys to remember. Well, if you haven't noticed yet, today we're going to be talking about soft drinks. You call them refrescos. We call them soft drinks. Kind of makes sense because when we talk about vodka or rum or any of these, this is called hard liquor. So it only makes sense that something without alcohol alcohol is called a soft drink. But as we'll find out, not all soft drinks started without alcohol in them. In, fa in fact, many of them had alcohol in them and other class A drugs, as we call them, or narcotics. So we're going to take a look at that and the interesting origins. But first, let's take a look at our intro. As you always know, I'm always putting different words in there just to teach you words, expressions, and, of course, I like to add a little alliteration. Oh, there I go again. Add, añadir, alliteration. I started off by saying it's as ubiquitous. Now, something that is ubiquitous is everywhere. I said it's as ubiquitous as running water. Now, running water is what comes out of your faucet in your kitchen sink, and even electricity. And obviously, electricity is what comes out of the plugs in the wall. Well, actually, the sockets. Remember this. The plug is the part that you stick in, and the socket is where the holes are. Then I said, you can find these sugary soft drinks all around the globe. Let's look at that word, sugar. It's an interesting word because, well, it doesn't have an SH in it, but we pronounce it as if there were an SH in it. So we don't say sugar, we say sugar, sugar. And obviously something that has a lot of sugar in it is sugary. So you can find these sugary soft drinks all around the globe. The globe is another way to say the world. From coast to coast, de costa a costa, and even 
in outer space. And outer space is el espacio. Remember, in English, as you guys remember, if you listen to the NASA episode, we don't say the space, we say space. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and give it a listen. Remember, there are tons of episodes, I think 35 episodes now, if I'm not mistaken. I lost track. Uh, Then I said, this bitter battle. There I go with my alliteration. Now, this word bitter, I'm sure you're familiar with, especially those of you who live in Spain. Bittercas. Aha. Yeah. ¿Qué sabe? What does it taste like? Yeah. It tastes bitter. Amargo. So this bitter battle, batalla, to see who has the best beverage. Now, beverage is another way we say something to drink has baffled billions. Let's look at this word, to baffle. To baffle is to surprise. B-A-F-F-L-E. Well, with with an E-D at the end. Baffled, confundir, desconcertar. It has baffled billions. And be aware, sed conscientes, that in English, in American English, a billion is no es un billón, sino mil millones. Then I said we will unmask. To unmask is to uncover these marketing machines. And there's another word that has an SH sound, although there's a CH in it. We don't say machine, we say machine. So these marketing machines and their quest, this is one of my favorite words in the English language, their quest is su cruzada, to quench our thirst. And the word quench is saciar. In fact, if uh, I think about Gatorade, one of their slogans was the thirst quencher. El sacia eh, sed, right? And remember, we don't say in English, eh, I have thirst, sino I'm thirsty. Tengo sed, I'm thirsty. So their quest to quench our thirst and maintain market share. Now, obviously, this has been the battle that's been going on for years. Who has more market share? ¿Quién tiene más del mercado? And then I said, we will contemplate, igual que en español, contemplar the cola wars on today's FYI. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right, that they call them the cola wars, but... uh, I'm convinced it's not a war about who's got the better soft drink, Coke or Pepsi, but who's got the better marketing team, who sells their beverage the best. So first we need to set the scene, ponerte en el escenario. It's the 1880s and there was no FDA. Now, what does FDA stand for? Well, the FDA is, in the United States, the ones who regulate food and drugs. So FDA stands for the Food and Drug Administration. So now, before uh, any food or medicine comes to the market, well, of course, it'll have to pass, it'll have to be approved by the FDA. But back then, there was no FDA. It was a free-for-all. A free-for-all es que todos hacían lo que querían. Vale todo. Uh, in fact, a lot of these beverages that people were inventing, they were kind of like tonics. They were kind of like medicines that advertised everything from getting rid of headaches, deshaciéndote de lo, los dolores de cabeza, stomach aches, uh, anxiety. And uh, as, as we say, 
say uh, people were selling snake oil. And snake oil, this idea of selling snake oil is selling something that's fake, that's not really going to help you. Uh, something that we even see nowadays, misleading advertising. Misleading, in este caso, es engañoso. So we've got to start at the beginning. And okay, it's been a bitter battle from the beginning, but the first one on the scene was Coca-Cola. That's right. Uh, if it's a matter of who's older, Coca-Cola wins. But as we all know from the playground, el patio, that's a very logical word, la tierra donde se juega, el terreno donde se juega, well, it's not always who's older. Uh, as we said before, it's who's more popular. Translation, who has more market share? Who's making more money? Right? These are companies and they need to make a profit. Beneficio. So Coca-Cola was invented in the late 19th century by a pharmacist named John Stith Pemberton. John Stith Pemberton. And uh, this guy, well, he founded this tonic, this formula that was supposed to make you feel better. It was supposed to give you a little extra energy, take away your pain, like a painkiller, analgesico. But it wasn't called Coca-Cola at that time. It was called Pemberton's French Wine Coca. And this guy, he was a, a colonel, John Pemberton. He was a Confederate colonel in the Confederate Army, and he was wounded. Wounded is herido in the American Civil War. And, well, as many people, he got hooked on morphine. To get hooked on or to get addicted to is engancharse. And so uh, he needed to find a substitute. I guess it would be like the equivalent today of somebody who is hooked on heroin uh, taking methadone. So he started experimenting. He started to tinker. This is a great word that means also to experiment, to try different things. And in 1885, he came up with this thing that he registered called Pemberton's French Wine Coca. It was a nerve tonic. It was something that relaxed your nerves. And when we look at the ingredients, you'll see why. Now, this original drink, the ingredients in this original drinks, this original drink, excuse me, Pemberton's French Wine Coca was wine, vino, cocaine, yeah, that's right. And caffeine. So I guess you could say it had a lot of kick. Vosotros decís punch, nosotros decimos kick, patada. Hmm, that's interesting. Puñetazo, eh, patada. Well, the idea is the same. But in 1886, well, our friend Pemberton had to start tinkering again because uh, there was something called temperance legislation, which was, it had to do with prohibition. And, well... Alcohol became illegal, so he had to find something to substitute. He couldn't sell it, not because of the cocaine. The alcohol was the problem. <laughs> Just imagine. Now, this tonic that he was selling, it, it made a lot of health claims. Uh, they said that it was a valuable brain tonic, that it would cure headaches, as I said before, relieve exhaustion, uh, calm your nerves. I mean, they didn't, uh, they didn't advertise it as a soft drink, as something that would just, you know, give you a little more energy until later on. But it had all of these claims. I mean, think about it. If something could do that, calm your nerves, take Take away, who doesn't want to drink this, you know? 
other words that they use. They're good adjectives. Other words that they use to describe this new tonic was delicious, refreshing, pure joy, exhilarating, invigorating. These are some good adjectives. But don't forget, we're still talking about a product that is called Pemberton's French Wine Coca. It wasn't called Coca-Cola yet. And, well, where did it get the name Coca-Cola from? A guy named Frank Mason Robinson. He was the bookkeeper or accountant, right? This is how we say el contable. And, well, back in the day, accountants had to have good handwriting. So he came up with this name Coca-Cola, and he used what's called this this Spencerian script and that's the same logo that we still see today. So we could say that uh, Pemberton was instrumental in creating Coca-Cola, but Frank Mason Robinson, he's the one that came up with the logo and the name. And in the bonus part of today's show, we're going to take a look at a Spanish product. That's right, a Spanish drink that preceded Pemberton's French wine coca. And if you guys want access to that, the bonus part of the show, as well as PDFs with all the vocabulary and weekly and monthly classes with me, you can join us. Go over to patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso and you can find out about all the different options from bonus audio to PDFs and worksheets to classes with me. It's all available at patreon.com slash Alberto Alonso. And while we're at it, I want to send a shout out to all my patrons, including my super duper students, Hugo, Roberto, Jorge, Jose Maria, Mila, Desiree, Alex, Patricio, Edgar, and Loles. And don't forget about my interstellar students, Diego, Carmen, Pilar, and Diana. Thank you so much to all of you for making this show possible. So, you know, now kids, you know, we we don't give our kids Coca-Cola or Pepsi because of the caffeine. But just imagine back then it had alcohol in it, uh, cocaine and, well, whatever other ingredients would make you feel, uh, quote unquote, better. Then our friend Colonel John Pemberton, Coronel, we say Colonel, Colonel John Pemberton, well, he wasn't the greatest businessman in the world. You know, he he wasn't into business too much, they say, and so he sold the business, and he sold it to somebody named Asa Candler. Asa Candler, another Atlanta pharmacist, and you know how much he sold the business for? He sold it for $1,750. Now, if we adjust that to inflation, that's the equivalent of $47,230 in 2020 money. But even though Pemberton sold the business, he had a hunch, a hunch is una corazonada, that his formula would, and I quote, someday be a national drink. And oh boy, he was right. And, you know, he wanted to leave the business to his son. Uh, I think you say legat. He wanted to leave it to his son, but his son was not interested in business. His son just wanted money. So, as I said, they sold it to Asa Candler. And Asa Candler was one of these people who decided that he wanted to make money. He wanted to make this product worldwide. And why? 
because he tried it. He suffered from chronic headaches, and he claimed that out of all the different products that he tried, it was the only one that cured his headaches. So he said, I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to make this huge. And of course, he tweaked it a little bit. To tweak is hacer cambios. By tweaking it, he added some extra sugar, some citric acid, and he removed most of the cocaine. So there was just traces of cocaine in it. And of course, as we said, there was no alcohol in it yet. And uh, at this time, now when we think about Coca-Cola, a lot of times we think about cans, latas, or bottles of Coca-Cola, or two-liter bottles. You know, we, we think of the, the, the fact that it's canned and bottled. But uh, at this time, there were no cans and bottles, at least not soft drinks. Uh, they sold syrup. Their business was selling syrup because at that time they used soda fountains. And a soda fountain is literally this big ornate thing that's on a bar and it would mix the carbonated water with the syrup. So their business was selling syrup. They weren't distributing like now we know one of uh, Coca-Cola and Pepsi's biggest business is bottling, distribution. It's not about the syrup or, or also advertising and sponsoring other brands. And we're going to get into all that a little bit later. And in the bonus part, we're also going to talk about that famous Coca-Cola bottle that's still around today. That, you know, as I say, even a blind person could pick up a bottle of Coca-Cola and know that it was Coca-Cola because of its distinctive features. And let's be honest, the bottle is sexy, it's got curves, it's cool, and it's part of the brand. Okay, so we've got some of the basics of Coca-Cola, but when did Pepsi come onto the scene? Well, Pepsi was originally created and developed in 1893 by somebody called Caleb Bradham. Caleb Bradham, and he introduced it as Brad's drink. So just remember this, Coca-Cola and Pepsi were not called Coke and Pepsi when they came out. They both had different names. Now, Pepsi was, as I just said, Brad's drink because his last name was Bradham, and it was renamed Pepsi-Cola in 1898. In 1961, they shortened it to Pepsi. And it kind of makes sense because uh, they claim that it was good for your stomach. And if you know anything about stomach acid, well, one of the, the stomach acids or one of the juices in our stomach is called pepsin. Now, the original drink didn't contain any pepsin, but well, it looked good. And remember, it's not about what's in it. It's about how you market it. At least that's one thing I learned when I was preparing this episode. And another thing that's interesting is pep is another way to say energy. So if you drank Pepsi, it gave you a lot of pep. I always think of uh, at high school, we used to have these pep rallies. Estas charlas de, come on, we can do this, let's go. A pep rally or something a, a coach gives you, you know, uh, during a, a baseball game or a basketball game or soccer. The best example I can think of is Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola loves to give his players a pep talk, una charla energética motivadora. 
Now, the good thing about Pepsi, contrary to Coca-Cola, was that Pepsi was an instant success. It was an overnight success. I mean, it was a a bit more sugary than Coca-Cola, and people were already into these kind of colas. In fact, there were so many others that either went out of business or were bought by Coke or Pepsi, but there was a lot of competition. But Brad's drink, Pepsi, it was successful from the first moment, but that success didn't last long. In, in the year 1923, the Pepsi-Cola company went into bankruptcy, bancarrota, and this was because of financial losses. Remember, uh, when there are wars involved, there's something called rationing, and sugar was one of the things that was rationed. They could only use certain amounts, and it was taxed as well, and of course, this affected Pepsi-Cola tremendously. But a guy named Charles Guth came along, and he was the president of a candy shop, a chain of candy shops called Loft Inc. Now, uh, I, I'm not familiar with these candy shops. I don't know if they're still in existence, but this guy had soda fountains at his candy shops, and he wanted uh, a deal. He wanted a special deal, una oferta especial, from Coca-Cola, and you know what they said? Sorry, No dice. We're not going to give any discounts on our syrup. That's the way it is. We're Coca-Cola and take it or leave it. So this angered our friend Charles Guth. He goes, wait, but I'm I'm one of the biggest purchasers. Uh, Compradores. I'm one of the biggest purchasers of your product. You're not going to give me a discount? And he was infuriated. And so he decided to seek revenge. I guess he was a Scorpio like me and a bit vengeful. Bengativo is vengeful. And so he decided to buy the Pepsi-Cola company. As I said, they were going through financial hardships at the time. So he bought them and uh, he tweaked the formula as, uh, as many did. You know, they wanted to get the right flavor so that people loved it. And he put Pepsi-Cola in all of his candy stores, and that led to Pepsi-Cola bouncing back, volviendo. Now, an interesting fact that I came across, que topé con, was that uh, on three separate occasions, cuidado con la pronunciación, no separate, bueno, separate es el verbo, and separate es como diríamos el adjetivo. So, separate Separate. So on three separate occasions between the years of 1922 and 1933, the Coca-Cola company was offered the opportunity to buy or to purchase, to look at the word we said before, the Pepsi-Cola company. And they declined on every occasion. They said, no, we're not interested. So imagine that. If they had purchased the company, we wouldn't even be doing these podcasts right now on the cola wars because the war would have ended with Coca-Cola being the champ. But no, they weren't interested in buying Pepsi. I guess they liked the competition. As we say in English, competition brings out the best in me. No, saca lo mejor de mí. Now, we already talked about how wars affected sales uh, because of rationing, because, well, Coca-Cola in the Second World War was uh, basically Coca-Cola petitioned the government so that Coca-Cola was the official drink of the soldiers out in, uh, you know, the Second World War. So, uh, 
in the end, they were always trying to be sneaky, furtivo. They were always trying to go behind each other's backs. And all these events, these global events, affected both companies in different ways. And some of them, as I said, almost didn't survive, such as the Great Depression. This is where Pepsi gained popularity because what they did is they introduced a 12-ounce bottle. This was in 1934. And at that time... Um, Coca-Cola, they were, they were sticking to their plan. They were sticking to their guns, como es la expresión. No iban a cambiar nada. And they said, we sell only these bottles, and this is the price, and that's that. Well, not Pepsi. Pepsi decided that they were going to sell their drinks for five cents, for one nickel. And at that time, radio was very popular. So they came up with a jingle, una ráfaga, that said nickel, nickel, which was recorded by the Tune Twisters in 1940. And it was very, very catchy. And sure, everybody was trying to save a buck, ahorrar pasta, because it was the Great Depression. So all of a sudden, de repente, people realized, wait, we can get the same, we can get double the amount of Pepsi for the same price as Coca-Cola? Well, I'll take the Pepsi. You know, everybody was trying, if I have three kids and I can get 12 ounces for five cents or six ounces for five cents, which one am I going with? Obviously. And Coke, they were very reluctant to change, even though Pepsi was starting to take over here. To take over is como coger control. So they were reluctant reacios. And so from the 30s to the late 50s, uh, Pepsi just kept, you know, trying to catch up with Coca-Cola. And they were. They were doing a great job. They realized the importance of advertising. Uh, they had a, a slogan that uh, said, Pepsi-Cola hits the spot. And I wanted to look at that because that's a great expression. If something hits the spot, es justo lo que necesitaba. It hits the spot. I hope these podcasts hit the spot. And they use this slogan in radio. Uh, of course, you begin once the television came out. Well, we started to see these companies battling it out on television with TV commercials and even product placement in movies. Uh, Pepsi was very clear with their marketing. They knew that they wanted to get young people. They wanted to sell this lifestyle. As I, I always say, these people aren't selling soft drinks. They're selling a lifestyle. They're selling a feeling. And Pepsi always, at that, at least at that point, went for the younger crowd. And that's when we started to see also when in movies, you started to see what we call product placement, where in Back to the Future, Michael J. Fox's character, McFly, would be drinking a Pepsi, or in Home Alone, or or any other movies where Pepsi and Coke, well, decided, well, we're going to get our product in there, and this way millions of people will, will be seeing their favorite celebrities drinking our soft drink. And then I think Coca-Cola realized how important it was to reach young people, and then they had that famous commercial, I'd like to teach the world to sing. I mean, they had a reissue of the commercial a few years ago, and this commercial really, really hit home. People really identified with it. It was about coming together. It was about love. It was about sharing. And this battle was raging on. And it still rages on today. That's why they call them the Cola Wars. And there's a lot of money at 
stake in Juego. And as you know, now Coke doesn't just sell Coca-Cola. They sell Sprite. They sell so many other products. Uh, Pepsi as well. They own Frito-Lay, the company Frito-Lay. So they all started to diversify, sell different products, work with different companies, buy different companies. And they had loyalty programs. Uh, Pepsi came up with this Pepsi Points, which would, if you drank Pepsi, well, you could win different prizes, as we call them loyalty programs. And you know what? This this war, as I said, continues to rage on today. They are constantly trying to one-up each other. And to one-up somebody is mejorarles, superarles. And this feud, otra forma de decir pelea, this feud continues to this day. And I've got to say something. As somebody who doesn't really drink soft drinks, I'm, I think it's interesting for even people who don't study marketing just to read the story of how these two companies became juggernauts. And a, a juggernaut, this is an excellent word, juggernaut. Vamos a ver cómo lo pone aquí en word reference. A juggernaut is un gigante, una fuerza de la naturaleza. So these juggernauts continue to duke it out today. And in the bonus part, we're going to talk about that Spanish drink that actually preceded Coca-Cola. We'll talk more about bottling and how important bottling and distribution became. And we'll talk about new Coke. Was this Coke's biggest blunder or was it brilliant marketing? All that and much more in the bonus part of today's FYI. <laughs> 